Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Galatians 4.21, so if you follow along with me, please. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as, a, as the result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Chapter five, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bree. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's again, like Drew said, welcome to Park Hill. My name is uh, Evan Wickham and my wife Sandy and I have the joy of leading this church alongside a team that feels like family. And so it's good, good to be together. Um, I, wa- I want to just pray, um, kind of silent prayer. So if we could for like 15, 20 seconds, we're just going to be still. We're going to take a deep breath. Feel free, just at the, at the beginning of this teaching, just to kind of uncross your arms, maybe plant your feet on the floor. Just not that that's a special magical posture, but it's just circulation, you know. Um, and, and just be aware of who's around and, and most of all that God is with us in this moment. So um, he promises to be uniquely present where his children gather. So Holy Spirit, come, breathe on us. Show us what your heart is for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're here. You're with us by the power of the Spirit because... God, you came in Christ to reconcile the world to yourself. And so we who say yes to you, we say yes to your goodness and authority here. That's what we're doing. By gathering, we're saying yes. And we believe that you've already promised a yes to all who would trust. So you've already, you've already gone before us in this. You're here before us. And so we respond. Show us what your heart is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
All right. Okay, so we're in a series in the book of Galatians. So if you don't have your Bibles open yet, get it open. We're going to need it uh, like we do every week. We're in the, book, in the book of Galatians in a series called One New Family, okay? So here's one minute, one minute summary of the backstory up to this point. 20 years after Jesus, he rose from the dead. The Christian church is just kicking off. And Paul writes this letter to this little family of churches in ancient Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. Shout out, Turkey. Um, yeah. So modern-day Turkey. He writes this letter because this church that began multicultural and diverse is now dividing into tribes. Um, some teachers were coming up from Jerusalem and saying, hey, hey, Paul's not totally right. Yes, believe in Jesus and be forgiven, but also become Jewish. Do Moses' law and get circumcised and all that. And, and that's how you really belong here. And Paul's like, no, not on my watch. And so he writes, he writes Galatians to set his family free to be family. Free to be one new diverse family where all our, all our identities belong. All our, but they all become secondary to our primary identity, which is in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's who we are first and foremost. So how is that for a summary? That's... That's the summary so far. So with that in mind, that's the goal. We, we now zoom in to today's text. And let me, let me tell you, Galatians 4, 21 through 31 or whatever, this is a hard passage. Hands down, the most difficult for me to teach. Um, so, so it's the last little Bible study that Paul gives in the letter. A lot of his letter is like just him going and like encouraging his church to be family. But sometimes he'll dip back into the Old Testament stories that he grew up on and he'll try to like unpack them in a fresh way. And this is the last unpacking of an Old Testament story that Paul does. And it's almost like his ditch final effort to convince us that our belonging here comes through trusting Jesus not through rallying according to our identities and tribes. So, so this is what he's trying to say. We get our ultimate identity from Jesus alone, not from our family of origin or the cultures we came from or sexuality or ethnicity. Those are all important pieces of who we are, but no longer primary. Uh, and, 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 and so when we submit to Jesus, boom, the spirit creates this family. Paul's like, please live this way. You're dividing up, you're fighting, you're, you're sacrificing the gospel by doing this. So please come back. And, and, and he uses this ancient story of Abraham, which is a really hard story. Um, so picture like hiking up a mountain. I love, I like hiking. So if Galatians is a, hike, a mountain peak, this passage is like the last few hundred yards scramble till you get to the summit. Um, next Next week, we've got four weeks left in this series, and the rest is smooth. It's Galatians 5 and 6. The fruit of the Spirit, and bear one another's burdens, and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's like preacher's dream text. Today is opposite of preacher's dream. It's preacher's nightmare text, in a way. It's, it's very dense, very dense. But it's a shorter sermon than normal because you don't need to belabor this one. Um, so, so, so Paul uses the story of Abraham and his wife Sarah and his wife's slave girl Hagar and this really unhealthy triangle between the three of them. And he makes this point with this dark story. He makes this bright point 
that anyone can join this family. Anyone. Anyone can join the family of Jesus, even the barren, the destitute, the shamed, the depressed, the abandoned, and the hopeless. This is who this family is made of. Uh, whether we admit it or not, that's who we are, brought into belonging. So, so anyone can be a loved child of God and love one another as brothers and sisters in this family, period. In N.T. Wright, one of my favorite Bible scholars, he calls this the real emphasis of this letter, this passage. So, and, and by the way, this is where we come to Paul's first direct commands in the letter. Up until now, he's been telling us what to believe. Now he's finally giving us, he's telling us what to do. Um, and so the first thing to do, the first command, we saw it last week. He's like, all right, because of all this, because your family, because Christ, crucifixion, death, resurrection, he's making you a family. Here's the command, the first one last week, become like me. How did Paul become? He became family to us. He became family to Galatians. So he's like, now Galatians, you turn around and be family to each other. Do what I did. That's the first command. And then we get to the, the peak command because there's a threat to family unity. And Paul goes after the jugular vein of the threat in this passage. Uh, but before we get to the command, he sets this up. He preps them. He primes the pump with a question. Here's the question. First verse of our text. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you aware of what the law says? So he's singling out this group that wants to submit to Moses' laws in the Old Testament and make everyone else do the same thing in order to belong. And he's like, you who want to do that, do you really know what the law says? So we have to do a little work here to understand what's going on in this verse. Um, long story short, in that verse, no, last, last slide, sorry. Uh, in, in that verse, I think the law in the first half and the law in the second half, same word referring to two different things. This is the best way I think that, that we can put this verse together. So the word the law, it was like a junk drawer word for a couple different things in the, in the first century. Um, Torah or namas in Greek, the law. It, so here's the first, the first mention when he says, tell me you who want to be under the law. In the first half of the sentence, the law, he's, he's referring to the enslaving power of the laws of Moses. These are 613 laws in your Old Testament, starting with the Ten Commandments plus 603 more, like don't shave the sides of your beard and don't eat lobster and stuff. Those are all laws. So the laws of Moses are these 613 laws given at Sinai. They once had authority over God's people, but no more. This law of Moses, it always had a divine expiration date. It's like a driver's license. There was always a day it would expire. What was the expiration date of the law of Moses? The coming of Messiah and the Spirit. So Pentecost comes, Acts 2, fire and wind, and the Holy Spirit comes. That is, boom, expiration date of the laws of Moses in their current form. They no longer operate the same way over the people of God. So since the coming of the Spirit, all who trust in Jesus are liberated from the authority of the Moses law. But in the second half of the verse, Paul talks about the law again. But in my view, and many others, now he's talking about the authoritative text of Scripture. So the law as Scripture, this is what Jesus meant by the law and the prophets. He was talking about his Bible 
In this sense, the law usually refers to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And these scripture texts, they keep showing us Jesus. Still, for the church, no matter what your race is, you don't have to be Jewish for them to matter in this sense. Understand, they reveal Jesus to every single member of Jesus' family, authoritatively as divine scripture. And so that's the law as scripture. So, so this makes sense. This is actually a really big deal. Again, there's, there's debates about this, but this, this, is, this is the best way I see to cut the cake. And if you want more resources on this, I can point, point them to you. But, but just to sum up, to sum up, next slide. In short, there's the law of Moses, and then there's the law as scripture. The law of Moses and the law as scripture. They're two different things. The law of Moses are these laws that no longer apply in the same way to the church. But the law is scripture, is the scripture that Jesus trusted and gave to us and revealed Jesus to us. So with, with those definitions, can we put that first verse back on the screen? This is all going somewhere, I promise. He says, tell me, you who want to be under the law of Moses, are you aware of what the law as scripture says? This is what I believe he's saying here. This is what I believe he's saying here. And so he's singling out this group in the church that wants to force Gentiles to come back under Moses. And Paul's like, you guys, that's not what the, the whole point of the thing even is for. And, and he calls this group that wants to force Gentiles to become Jewish. In chapter two of Galatians, he gives them a name. He calls them the circumcision party. There ain't no party like a circumcision party. I don't know. So, so let's call them the law tribe. Let's just call them the law tribe instead. So Paul singles out this law tribe. You law tribe. Hey, are you prepared to hear what the law really says? That's what he's saying. You're all about what's right in the scriptures and all, but you missed the forest for the trees. And then, and then for the next 10 verses, Paul makes this wild ride of a case. He makes this case through layers of Abraham's story. And then at the end of the 10 verses, he answers his question. You want to hear what the scripture says? He, he answers his question, and this is the command. You ready for it? This is the big command, the climax of Galatians. What does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. Central command of Galatians. What does that even mean? Uh, if that, it's, you know, we, we're, we're culturally removed, to put it lightly, we're culturally removed to, under, to be impacted by this. It's almost triggering to us. Get rid of the slave, abandon the slave woman and her son. How is that the climax of this book? First of all, uh, Paul's being intentionally shocking here. He's referring to a familiar story to his hearers. How many of you have heard the Abraham, Sarah, Hagar story? Yeah, a lot of you. A little bit more than the first gathering. I blame it on daylight savings or whatever. But yeah, this, this story, everyone would have raised their hands in the first, first century church. This was foundational for identity in Israel. And uh, it's this story where Abraham and his wife are handpicked by God to give birth to a baby who would create nations and a Messiah who would bless every nation. And so that's pretty special, right? That's pretty special. And... Um, God, the thing about God's promises and, and his schedule is it's not the same as ours ever. Um, 
God's not hindered by things like, oh, time. So, so, he, so he works on his, on his own time clock. Abraham and Sarah had an issue with that. So they decide to help God out. The, the baby's not coming and we're getting older. Let's help God out. Sarah's like, here's my slave woman, Hagar. She's younger, she's fertile. Have a baby with her, we'll call her ours. We'll adopt it. Him or her, whoever it is. We'll adopt this baby. And, and so, so this, this story, while sensitive to our ears, is foundational for them. And, but but to, make, to make it even more sensitive, Paul seems to hold up the abused slave girl and her son as a metaphor for the wrong kind of life. And to top it off, the big command at the end of Galatians, at the, at the climax of Galatians is, you need, to, you need to throw away the slave girl and her son. Abandon. Uh, and, and now everyone's triggered, right? Like, we're all just... And so, because of our cultural moment right now, in order to hear what Paul is saying, we have to locate ourselves in 2022. So, it's a brilliant argument from Paul. So, but first, a few comments about slavery <laughs> in Scripture. Um, slavery in Scripture deserves a teaching all its own. This is not what this teaching's about. So, just a few comments. First of all, I want to say this first. Slavery was and will always be wrong. People owning people was wrong when it happened in the Bible, and it's been wrong ever since, period. And maybe what's worse than just slavery by itself is the misuse of the Bible to justify slavery, which happened a lot in American history. So first of all, slavery is wrong all the time. Uh, Secondly, the Bible never endorses slavery as a good thing. Did you know this? It's always bad in Scripture, if not explicitly, then implicitly by the consequences of the narrative. It's, it always turns out bad, just like polygamy in Scripture. People have lots of wives. Good guys have lots of wives in the narrative, but multiple wives always narratively ends up disastrous, with split kingdoms and all kinds of things. So, so whenever God seems, so you're like, well, doesn't God give slave laws? Like how to keep a slave in a healthy way or whatever? Well, yes. Whenever God seems to be working with slave culture, which he does, what he is always doing is working to limit the evil of slavery while moving his family beyond it toward the trajectory of Jesus's ethics. It's the ethical trajectory of the, the ethical trajectory of the Old Testament. It's always leading to Jesus. Jesus said, "This whole thing leads to me." He wasn't kidding. So he's always working to limit. The, God is always working to limit the evils of slavery and move his family beyond it toward Jesus. So slavery is never good in the Bible. Number three, finally, slavery in the Bible is never about race. It's never about race. This is important for Americans to get because of our unique, dark history with race-based slavery. And we need to own that history as Americans. And as Christians, we need to own the scriptures. In the scriptures, slavery had nothing to do with race. It was more indentured servitude where you could opt in and work your way out. Built into Israel's law was a seven-year expiration of your slavery, and you're set to go free, and you're set up with some stuff to get you going. Um, or pledge your life to your household. You could pledge your life if you wanted to and stay. 
or earn your freedom or become slaves often became prominent in society once they earn their freedom and work it's very different than uh, the American uh, picture but listen none of that made slavery in scripture right none of it made it ethical still wrong it's just a different world and we have to intellectual honesty requires us to just really keep that in the forefront of our mind again this topic of slavery in the bible it needs a teaching all its own but this is an important moment five minute clarification because here's why you guys the bible's strange have you ever thought this you ever had this thought where you're like i just don't know if i can with this moment in the bible um the Bible's strange, and this Galatians passage is no exception to this. So back to Galatians, we're going to walk through these verses, Galatians 4, 21 through 29. They build up to this bizarre command, get rid of the slave girl and her son. What does that even mean? So again, Paul's retelling this Abraham, Sarah, Hagar story, and guess what? Remember who he's talking to? He's talking to the law tribe. They love their identity. They're like, this is our favorite story. Sarah's our mom. It's Women's History Month, come on. It's like, it's like, let's get some women's history. Like, Sarah's our mom, and tell us who we are. We're the real bloodline, and if anybody wants to join this real bloodline, nah, they, they might be equal. They'll be equal as long as they do the Jewish stuff, do the Moses stuff. Um, so they, love, they probably love this story. They probably used it to base their theology and their division out of it. And they're like, hey, Gentiles, you got to take on our identity to belong in Jesus' church. And so that's the law tribe, that's the tribe mindset, right? Very tribal. Become like us to belong. Um, and so Paul does something brilliant with this story. He flips it. Um, and he uses these two women, Sarah and Hagar, as allegories to, to spin the table on the tribalists. So he starts easy. He, give, he starts with a slow ball. Verse 22. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. And the law tribe is like, yeah, I love this story. This is great. I'm on board. They're on board right now. They're, they're jiving with this. None of this would have surprised them. They're like, we're from the free woman, Gentiles from the slave out there, them out there, they're, they're obviously from the slave woman. And, and, and so, uh, Paul, but then Paul starts messing with them. This is where he, he starts getting feisty. Verse 24, he says, these things are being taken figuratively. They're like, wait, wait, what? No, it's literal. It's our blood. He's like, it's, I'm using it as a figurative lesson right now. And they're like, okay, they're listening. They're like, where's he going with this? He's like, the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and creates children who become slaves. This is Hagar. And they're like, Paul, I think you messed up because as good Moses abiding Jews, we like Mount Sinai. That's where the Ten Commandments and all the rest came from. And that created, that didn't create slaves. You messed up. That created free people. If you remember the story, we were slaves. 
and then came Sinai, and then we were free. And Paul's like, yeah, but now it's flipped. Now it's it's the other way now, because you're causing people to go back to the Moses tribe when it's expired and repurposed around this nation, this heavenly nation of multi-tribes. And, and, and he's like, and, and the law tribe is like, but, but wait, you can't, you can't, Paul, you can't say that the laws of Moses now make slaves. That's the opposite of true. He's like, actually, it's, it's the new true. Uh, and so Paul continues, verse 25, he says, now Hagar stands from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. They're like, now you just hit the motherland. Like, you just went for Jerusalem where we are, like, we have deep roots. We came from, the men from James who started this tribalism came from the church, Jerusalem church. Paul's taking a shot at that. There's this tribalism that came from the Jerusalem Christian church that said, you got to become Jewish. You got to become like us to belong. And he's like, yeah, you guys are peddling slavery, is what he's saying. In the name of the free, which is just so messed up. And, and so Paul's like, yes. And so, so Paul's like, this is what I'm saying. Circumcision, laws of Moses, even your Jewish ethnicity, none of that can make you right. This is ground zero. None of that makes you right. None of that corrects your, your character flaws or fixes your relationships with your parents or makes you acceptable before God or helps you be a better steward of creation. Your relationship with God, other self, rest of creation, you can't fix that with your blood. You need someone else's blood, specifically Jesus's. And, and, and so Paul's saying the way God has set up this universe is the only way to be right, the only way to be fixed, to be made right, is through trusting Jesus and living in the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship with the new family he's creating that is not rallying around any identity other than their identity as loved children of God. That doesn't erase all our identities whether it's ethnic or sexual or whatever. That doesn't erase the very reality of who we are, but it all becomes submitted and secondary to the identity of, of Jesus himself. And now we're the one new family of Jesus. So, so Paul uses one last term to just like nail in the coffin of his argument against the law tribe. And it's this idea that, <laughs> that the new family of Jesus is the real Jerusalem, and it's very offensive to the Jerusalemites. So, so he says, verse 26, he says, but the Jerusalem that is above compared to the present one on the ground, the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says, be glad, barren woman. Be glad, you who, you who never bore a child, shout for joy. Cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. What's Paul doing here? He's using the prophet Isaiah to unpack the story of Abraham, to talk to the tribalists in the church, and say, you're wrong about requiring obedience to the law for belonging. That's not what makes you right, and it's not what makes you belong. It's not about bloodline. It's not about... Jewish identity. It's not even about whether you're the freest rich woman 
or you're the most humble slave girl. Those identifiers don't give you value anymore in the new family of Jesus. Because look, look what he's, he's talking about Sarah. He's like, remember Sarah, the one who you, you, you're so proud of is your mother, like the true wife of Abraham. Even she was barren. Even she was desolate. And he's spinning. He's like, she, you're, you're glorifying her and then pretending you're all put together. But in reality, the prophet knows what's up. We are all barren. It's not just Hagar, the enslaved girl. It, we're all barren. We are all destitute. Equally, the playing field is leveled at the foot of the cross. All of us must come equally admitting our need for forgiveness and healing, and then we receive belonging no matter our identity. Do you get this, he's saying? Are you living this? Everyone is barren and desolate before God, but everyone who admits this will not be barren and desolate forever. Hope kicks in. No other identity or tribe can give you that hope. No political party. Only trusting in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus and living by the power of the Spirit can give you true belonging in the family of God forever. This is Paul's message, you guys. This is the core of his message. And by holding up these two women, he's like, do you see, these are actually two different worlds. Which world are you living in in your head? Here's the two worlds. He holds up the two. On one hand, you have Hagar, the slave woman under the old covenant, organizing around tribal identity and living by the flesh, by your own effort and by your own creations. And the free woman over here, led by the spirit, the, the true Jerusalem, the true city of God. Paul's saying, hey, hey, law tribe, you think you're on this side, but you think you're living in the free world, but, but you're actually enslaved. You're enslaved. When you organize your life and your core values and your primary allegiance are on anything other than Jesus, whether it's circumcision, the law of Moses, your ethnicity, your sexuality, your wealth, anything else, you organize yourself around that, you might think you're on the free side. You organize your, if you organize your life by, I'm going to be authentic, I'm going to be true to myself, that's the most important thing, me, me do me, you, if that's the highest thing, you might think you're free. But according to Paul, you're actually enslaved. This is a serious rebuke for every one of us because we're all tempted to believe these lies. There are lies we are all fighting against believing. And now Paul finishes the chapter by speaking directly. He changes. Now he, now he moves to those who have accepted the gospel, who have trusted Jesus and are living by the power of the Spirit. And Paul gives them the command, Paul gives them the command. Here it is again in context, all right? He says, now you, family, brothers, sisters, like Isaac, you are children of promise. At that time, back in the Abraham story, the son born according to the flesh, that's the slave woman's son, he fought with the son born by the power of the spirit. There was a fight, just like there is. He says, it is the same now. There's a fight going on in your church over who belongs and why? And, and what I'm going to say, 
Paul is arguing for is that fight doesn't just exist outside of you. It pr- primarily exists in, inside of us, each of us. We live out of lies that we believe and then organize out of fear. This starts with these identity lies that we believe. So, so Paul's saying, here's what he's saying for us. You got to identify the lies. Identify whatever's threatening family unity and remove it in the name of Jesus. Verse 30, that's what he means by, what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For that sla- the slave woman mindset, the, sl- the, sla- the enslavement, when we think we're free, but we're acting out of fear to guard our self-interests and rally against others instead of with people in the name of Jesus, that slavery mindset is Paul's argument. And he's saying there's no inherit, you won't enjoy the inheritance of, of God in that way. You won't enjoy deep relationship, life in the spirit, life in the community. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. What is he saying? He's saying, identify whatever is threatening family unity and remove it in the name of Jesus. Ruthlessly. This is a ruthless, we should feel offended by this. It's, he's, he's using ruthless rhetoric to tell us why, to, why we should accept the lowest of the low. See how he's flipping it. We should be ruthless with, with our inner lies that we believe, confess them, bringing, bring them out, get rid of these enslaving lies that we believe that make us rally against people that aren't like us. Paul's brilliant here, what he's doing. Our unity is threatened. Our unity is threatened. And here's where we're going to, here's where I want to land the pastoral part of this, because this is a hard text to apply. Um, there's a lot of, you know, biblical history to unpack. So what, what does it mean? I've been hinting at it, but I, w- I want to say very clearly that for Paul, he knows that whenever there's division in the church, there's always an identity issue underneath it. Whenever there's a relational, a muddy, complicated, a complex relationship issue between brothers and sisters, you know, whenever there's that complex issue, he knows that there's an identity issue that's deeper. He knows this. I'm not talking about healthy conflict. Some people are like, I love conflict. If you like it, that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about when you like, you don't know who's wrong and you feel defensive and it's just muddy and you just don't want to deal. That, when that happens, it's, it's, a, it's a division element where there's an identity issue fueling it. And sometimes demonic spiritual forces increasing the fuel. World, flesh, and devil are always conspiring to get us to believe lies. And so here's how that weird culturally bizarre, offensive command about the slave woman, here's how it comes to us. Here's how it comes to us. The primary command, you know, get rid of the slave woman, receive your inheritance, here's how it comes to us. You Number one, this means name it. Name 
the identity issue. Name the lie that you're tempted to believe. What is it? Renounce how it enslaves you. Confess the sin. Confess the relational breakage. And then step into freedom with Jesus by re-engaging the practices of Jesus, silence and stillness. And, and then enjoy your inheritance. What's our inheritance? Holy Spirit energized relationships. Bring your, your, bring your junk, bring your good stuff and your bad stuff, lay it all before your spiritual family and watch them speak truth over you. That's your inheritance. The, the Spirit-empowered family of Jesus. That's, that's what Abraham saw in the stars when God said, I'll give you an inheritance of family. More numerous than the stars. Park Hill Church are a couple hundred of those stars in that sky. That's your inheritance. And because we don't name the lies in our, in our heads and we don't renounce them and we don't practice the, 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 the way of Jesus, because of all these things, we don't live into it, we're fractured. And there are people in church who are like, I'll never with them or whatever. So how does this look? How, do, how does this practically look? Um, somehow, you know, a, a false identity or maybe a straight up lie, it embeds into the mind of a Christian. You know this, children of God can, can have embedded lies, whether it's from your upbringing or the demonic or culture, whatever, and we believe them. And we actually live out of a lie. We believe those lies are true, you know, as, um, as one sociologist said, words create worlds. And we believe false words that are anti-gospel about us. And then we live into a world that's not real. And I love what Scazzaro says. We have to renounce the lies because they've created a false world. And guess what? God is real, so he only lives in the real world. Lies keep us living in unreality where there is no God. No wonder we're abandoned feeling. And so we, we got to live into reality by confessing sin to one another. And so we confess these. Maybe the lie that you're believing, just throw out some that are very common. Like, I am unwanted. I just believe I'm unwanted. I've seen this narrative all through my life, and I, I, I live out of it. I try to get approval and all that. Or maybe you're unlovable you, in your mind, in your mind. Or for me, the one that gets me, uh, I'm, I'm insignificant. I'm going to lose my significance. I'm going to lose my significance. If I, if I do this, or if Evan does this or doesn't do that, or if I say no to that opportunity, if I, if I let that pass me by, or if I just network with the right people, then I won't lose my significance. This is my lie that I believe. Um, and, I, and I can preach, I can stand here and be like, it's all lies. I can say that with my mouth. Um, getting it into my, my bones is another story. I was sitting with a spiritual director of mine that I'm journeying with early, early this month. And, and he said this to me. He's like, Evan, you really, you really believe that you, you have to keep fighting to be significant. And I'm like, that's what I just told you. <laughs> And, and, and he's like, listen, no, it's, no, seriously, Evan, I want to camp on that because uh, you don't believe the truest thing about you, that God in Christ gave up all his significance for you on the cross so you could be his inf infinitely significant son. You don't believe that. What, why not? Tell me why. And that's when the conversation got going. 
I know in my head nothing can make me lose my true significance because Christ laid his aside, emptied himself of all the perks of omnipresence to be scorned in the armpit of the Roman Empire, crucified by the state for treason and not once got defensive about it because he was confident in his significance with the Father. Oh my gosh, so that I could be significant. I need to preach that to myself. But that doesn't stop me from being tempted by the lie. You're losing significance. You're going to lose it, Evan. You know, I've been off social media since last August, and I think this is part of, this is part of the journey for me. It was connected to some other timeline I created for myself with my wife, but, but man, it's been rough. It's like, I don't know, like when you're dormant on Twitter for that long or whatever, do you lose like thousands of followers if you have multiple? Th- I don't know how it works. Well, the algorithm just ignores you. The algorithm won't think I'm significant, you know? <laughs> so, so what happens when I live out of that lie? Let's, let's dig, because this applies to all of us. Yours might not be significant. I encourage you to fill in yours. What happens when you live out of that lie? For me, I overwork. Um, but I'm never satisfied by 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. I'm, I'm just angry that I didn't get to the things I had in my head. Actually angry and stressed and sighing, you know, when I'm living out of the lie. And, I, and, that, and that makes me stay mentally far away from people I'm sitting at the table with. And then when I perpetuate this, then, then I really start using people in my quest for significance. People are, people are helpful to me. I rec- I'm, doing the, I'm the law tribe. I'm the significance tribe. I'm requiring people to be useful to me, to belong with me. This is my slavery. This is not who I truly am at the deepest level. This is not in accordance with my deepest desires as a spirit-filled, blood-bought son of God who's infinitely loved. But this is the slave, this is the Egypt I'm tempted to look back to. And, it's, and, and here's, here's the rub. It immediately threatens family unity. My immediate family health, my biological family health, my community health, my church health, it, you guys, this, rever- this stuff, re- lies reverberate. Get, the, get rid of the enslavement and her children. That's what today is. That's the call today. We're gonna have a time of prayer in a few moments where you're invited to come up and name it, renounce it, and let the truth of who you are in Christ be spoken over you by a son or daughter, a brother or sister in Christ. Your, your family is at stake. It's not just you wrestling alone. You belong here. So, so here's how Paul's command comes to me. I already told you everything, but here it is just to, just to spell it out for you. How would you fill this in? You name the identity issue. Evan, I'm afraid of losing significance. So then I renounce the enslaving lies. I repent of overwork and using people, often to their face. And then I step into freedom with Jesus, which means I re-engage the Jesus practices. You guys, silence and solitude is survival. 
revival for, the, for me in my head. The weeks I'm most productive, actually productive, the way I want to be, is when I'm doing less. But I've had four two-minute, quiet, like silent, just me and Jesus all scattered throughout the day. And it doesn't take that long. Four two-minute breathing, I'm loved because Christ is loved by the Father and I'm in Christ. Holy Spirit, come. That's it. Two minutes. Done. Two minutes goes off. Thank you, Father. And come back a couple more times that day. Survival. Survival for stepping into freedom. And then, and then from there, I enjoy my inheritance as God's child. I talk about it with my spiritual family. Yes, of course, my immediate nuclear family, because I have one. Uh, but I also have a spiritual family that Jesus said is a true family as well. And so I go to them and I'm like, here's the lies I've been believing and here's the victory that God is bringing. And then guess what happens when you're, guess what happens when you invite your family in? They start, they have this knack of speaking truth over you. And then there's this beautiful life-giving cycle that begins called, guess what? The new covenant family of God. Doesn't, do you want this? Do you crave this? This is, this is true freedom. My tendency to overwork or maybe your tendency to seek being wanted from hookup culture or maybe you do you, me, I just, I'll do whatever, autonomy, self-expression. We think these things are freedom while we're pursuing them, but they're actually slavery. This is the switch Paul is trying to get everyone to flip. Will you, will you join him? Will you join Jesus, will you join the Spirit? Will you partner with the new family of God today? So if you're not a Christian here and you're hearing this, this is like, maybe you've never heard it put this way. For you, if you're not a Christian, welcome to this conversation. We would love to invite you into the family to start experiencing immediate connection. It, it, it won't be cataclysmic and beautiful and sparks flying necessarily. Some people find connection right away, but some it's difficult, but you belong. The first Sunday of April, April 3rd, we'll, we will hold baptisms. That is the entry point to this new covenant family. Come on. And for the rest of us, if you're already a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, what is that next step for you on that list? Can you, um, yeah, right, still up on the screen. What is the step for you? Narratives are spinning in your head. Come on, come for prayer right now. We're gonna, we're gonna sing, we're gonna start responding to Jesus through singing. And I would encourage everyone who has never received prayer to just receive it today. I meant that. There was a word spoken during pre-gathering prayer. Ashley, um, there's many Ashleys. Ashley Bergman. She, uh, she had this great, she's like, I just sense the spirit wants to work very significantly amongst those who who, whether they feel they are or they really are, on the margin, God wants to work on the edges today. And she didn't know what I was going to preach. Uh, and and so, so maybe you've never come for prayer. Come for this. 
and let the Father pour his love out into your heart through the Holy Spirit. Often that happens through just saying, I'm in need. And I'm ready to name a lie. Or whatever. There you have it. That's the invitation. So can we, can we stand? However this is hitting you, just receive it. Um, it is a hard text with a lot of applications, a lot of different ways to take it. But at the core, we have relational issues because we have identity issues. Let the Spirit lovingly work. Lovingly work. So we're going to spend the next 10 minutes just, just being in God's presence. We're not in any rush. This house becomes a house of prayer in this moment. Always, we pray it all day, but, but for you, for you. There's people on the right and on the left up here that would just love to bring you to Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. Lead us to Jesus. Come forward, receive prayer now. We're wide open.